The biggest pro football overlays in Vegas are back with 12 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circa Sports. With two ways to win and no rake. Circa Million with quarterly payouts and 100% payback. And Circa Survivor. Select one team each week with no point spread. Take in the big money with 12 million in guaranteed prizes. Enter in Vegas. Play from anywhere. Visit CircaSports.com for details. Must be 21 or older and in Nevada to legally enter. Circa Sports encourages responsible gaming. All rights reserved. What's up? This Shaq Barrett, outside linebacker of the Tampa Bay Bucks, and you're listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. This is the 31st episode of Season 3. Today, we are talking about dark horse players. These are guys without previous top five finishes who we believe can finish in the top five this year. And for an episode like this, we needed an absolute beast of a guest. And joining me today to break this all down is a man who is an avid lover of the greatest college football game of all time, NCAA 14. Still the acting president of the Cordero Patterson fan club. He is the writer and creator of the former 100-day fantasy file series, as well as the host of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, with one of the best voices in podcasting and now over 98,000 followers on Twitter. You know him. You love him. He is Ian Harditz. Welcome back to the show. Great to be back, man. Good talking ball with you, as always. And, dude, I am already... Like, I'm ready to be disappointed by the freaking folks at EA Sports just repackaging Madden and giving us NCAA 23, but it's just Madden. Man, I've seen some people on Twitter claim like they've always done this, maybe to an extent, but you've played them, man. Like, NCAA 14 and even the versions before, it always played differently than Madden. It felt like a more wide-open game, their open field engine. So maybe I'm looking too much, but I'm, I'm just ready to be disappointed, man. I, I still have the Xbox 360 in my living room. I'm not going to be surprised if the new one comes out and I'm back to playing 14 within a couple of weeks. I, I don't blame you. I feel like you're right, especially if it's the same company. I feel like it's just going to be Madden with different jerseys on. Like, unfortunately, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's like the, the greatest game of all time. But I again, you know, I know. I just don't think that like 14 can be replicated. No matter what platform you're playing on, I just don't think it could ever be replicated near the same way. Meanwhile, the one company that I, I wish would just rest on what they've done before and not try to improve anything is the NFL Game Pass product. But nope, apparently now NFL Plus, it's even harder to get uh, all 22 access. Man, like I just feel for you guys, like PFF, we luckily have PFF Ultimate behind the yeah. scenes. Like I can just click a but I can get all the all 22 right there at my fingertips. Oh, really? But my God, man, just to have such a great technology <laughs> and for them to literally just gut it. Like, like dude, you know, I, I make these uh, highlight films of players and tweet them out a lot. I, I think it's fun you know at the end of the day my love of this comes down to football so if we can't like be watching cool ass football players like what's yep. even the point of doing any of this but man i used to be able to I'd, I'd take about 20 minutes or so i'd find the highlights of like a wide receiver i wanted and i could go into the individual game pass games get the wide receiver cornerback iso cam it'd usually be like another attempt like it was a process but i could get usually about 12 to 15 plays in about a 10 12 minute clip that i could then cut down anything longer than that starts making it herky jerky anyway man with the new game pass technology i tried doing that once and i got about four plays in 10 minutes like it, <laughs> it it's just atrocious man i don't I get know it that but bad. it's so I, bad 
I heard it's not good, but I didn't realize it's that bad. And then, and just wait. And then next year, you're going to have to get an NFL double plus, you know, subscription to be able to get it. It's just going to keep going on and on and on and on until you need, you need Paramount and you'll need Peacock to even access the all 22. So it's funny knows? too. Um, I actually prefer these because apparently Sunday ticket is coming to an end with direct TV. So yeah, it's yep. going to be some sort of streaming thing, but I won't shout out the uh, name of the site, but I know some fellow streamers out there got to know it, but on the Sunday night and Monday night, uh, you know, during the halftime shows, basically the stream, instead of actually showing the halftime show, they just have the cat jam uh, gif, like just bobbing its head, <laughs> playing like party music for like 10, 15 minutes. Dude, like as someone that, you know, our Sundays start like freaking 8 a.m. If not earlier, and we're just watching oh, yeah. grinding all freaking day. Getting that cat jam going at about 11 p.m. is exactly the lift me up I, I need. So even as someone that like I have cable because my apartment just um, makes us pay for it, I go onto the stream just for the halftime show. <laughs> that is the best thing I think I've heard all day. I didn't know that was a thing. You're going to have to tell me after the show where I can find this. Because, again, especially when, again, everyone already knows. We'll get into the show. I promise people. But <laughs> Sundays are 11-hour days, the best 11 hours we get all week enjoying football. But something like that, that is an instant mood lifter, you know, after your guy gets hurt or something bad happens, you end up losing a matchup by like 0 0.02 points. Like, I don't think there's anything better than having that to save your day. But the other players that are going to save our day are these dark horses. I mean, these are guys, like I said, that have not finished in the top five before, but we believe that can finish top five this year. We're going to go through quarterbacks, wide running back, wide receiver, tight end, and then we will each give a bonus Dark horse that we want to touch on. Ian, we will start with you with the quarterbacks. Who is your dark horse top five quarterback for this year? I'm going with Mr. Trey Lance. I won't spoil yours, but we're going to have the pretty same rationale here, man. Yeah. Quarterbacks that run the ball this much, they don't bust. They don't bust. Yeah. I've, lo I've looked at it over since I think it was 2010 was uh, the study. We've had 13 <laughs> quarterbacks have at least 125 rush attempts in a season. All but one of them were top 12 in fantasy points per game. The only one that wasn't was 2020 Cam Newton, which he was still like QB 17, which I think would surprise some people. But yeah, you give him the same sort of weapons that made Tom Brady look mortal for the first time in his career. Like, I'm not surprised that didn't exactly work out. But with Trey Lance, for all those potential issues as a quarterback, like, I I'm I'm tired of the comparison. Like, oh, look, Jimmy Garoppolo led the league in yards per attempt. What can Trey Lance do? Don't even go there. Look at what Nick Mullins did in this system before that he even had Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk on the field. Like, Trey Lance can be a below-average passer in real life and probably still pose top 10 efficiency numbers just from dumping the ball down to Debo to Ayuk, to George freaking Kittle, for my money's worth, is the single best tight end in the entire NFL. So, when, again, having these rush attempts, having that floor, and just being in this offense, to me, it's the same reason why we're on guys like Jalen Hurts, why we're on guys like Lamar Jackson. We just haven't seen it before, and that's why people are hesitant. But if you've been in the underdog streets like I have, you know, all throughout the offseason, that ADP just keeps on climbing, man. And the whole Jimmy Garoppolo thing, like, I, I've you know, my lovely co-host of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Dwayne McFarland, has said that he's ready to move Trey Lance up to QB seven, which is where I have him now. Once Jimmy's out of the picture, because he's a little bit concerned that what if Trey Lance just plays terrible the first three weeks? They still have Jimmy on the team. Maybe you know they fancy themselves a contender as they should. Maybe they do make that switch, but. 
these aren't trade rumors of Jimmy Garoppolo. This is Kyle Shanahan himself telling us that they are tr trying to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. It's Trey Lance's team. And again, I just think that his fantasy friendly skill set deserves to have him as a top seven, if not even freaking higher quarterback already. And he's still being priced QB nine, QB 10. So I'm happy to take him where he's going. And man, if you are trying to stack him up, like I know it's tough to get Debo in round one or two always, but Kittle's falling to the fist sometimes. Like, and if you're at the uh, turn, you can even get Lance and Brett and Iowa one after another so gotta love uh some of these price points of the 49ers offense at the moment i completely agree and it's nice on the fresh fantasy podcast to hear a fresh trey lance takes i feel like i talk about him all the time he also is my qb7 so that'll be three of us there we but go. i'll have him there i love trey lance and uh, but my guy is jalen hurts who's in a similar situation and i banged the table all year last year for um for jalen hurts and that was because again going back to 2010 a, a stat from someone else that is not from me on this podcast it was actually you that it was 19 out of 22 quarterbacks since 2010 going into last year that had four and a half rush attempts per game 19 out of 22 were literally top eight qbs in points per game for four and a half rush attempts the only that's points per game points per game we're points not like game. we're not yeah, doing not these finishes we're not doing the antonio gibson no. thing or like he yeah. played 17 games per game per game and the only guys to not do this were 2012 Tim Tebow, 2014 Colin Kaepernick, and 2020 Cam Newton. So if Jalen Hurts and Trey Lance are like better than those guys, which is not a high bar to hit, like they are almost guaranteed. But even the guys that didn't do it, like Kaepernick, Tebow, Cam Newton, they all had terrible weapons. Trey Lance has really good weapons, and so does Jalen Hurts. But the reason that I have Jalen Hurts is the dark horse thing because I know people already have him close to the top five. So you're like, Alex, like, can't you give us a better name than that? I think that like Jalen Hurts is my dark horse to be the QB one. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if in in fantasy land he makes a Josh Allen type leap. I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility because we saw this last, like two years ago with Josh Allen. You add in a top ten talent at wide receiver and Stephon Diggs, and all of a sudden, look how much better of a quarterback Josh Allen looks. So when you take Jalen Hurts, who was pretty good last year with like an absolute dumpster fire of weapons where Quez Watkins and Jalen Rager were both top four in targets on that team. And then you plug in AJ Brown to get some of those Jalen Rager targets. It makes a massive difference. And he's also going into his third year. He's going to make a leap from his second year to his third year. You add in a top 10 talent. And I think the QB one is very possible. He was the QB one in fantasy last year for the first 11 weeks for a high ankle sprain. He might've done it last year without Zach Ertz or AJ Brown. And now you add in AJ Brown. Do you think it's within the realm of possibility he finishes the, as the QB1 this year? I think it's a fine take, man. I'm, I'm sure Bills fans are all upset. It took Josh Allen. We love Josh Allen. It took yeah. Josh Allen to his third year to have one passing game with 300-plus yards. Like, we could not yeah. hear that stat enough. Hurts had, what, four in his first eight starts? And, yeah, yeah, things weren't going great. That's why the Eagles became such a run-heavy offense for the second part but of the season. I'm not saying they're going to get back to, you know, weeks one through six heights. But, yeah, you had A.J. freaking Brown for the price they did. I do think they're going to be throwing the ball more. And, you know, I put together this uh, video of some of just the misfires that these Eagles wide receivers had last year with Jalen Hurts. Back-to-back Rager drops that would won the game against the Giants like you can do this with a lot of players but I don't think anyone had more like just sheeshes in terms of their wide receivers dropping passes going out of bounds coming back in just one brutal play after another than what the Eagles were doing with Jalen Hurts last year so I like to take man Eagles man if they're not the I think they are the favorites for the NFC East if not they should be and I think the last overrated narrative that I think people need to stop talking about is the whole like the Eagles aren't going to run aren't, aren't going to pass the ball like they had no option last year after they traded Zach Ertz. Like again, I, I already said it three times, 
But when Quez Watkins and Jalen Rager are on the field, like every single play, like why wouldn't you be running the ball with that offensive line? It's the same thing with the uh, yeah. Saints. If you look at when yes. Jameis was under center, they were 32nd because it was Marquez Callaway wide receiver one yep. season. With all due respect to the Callaway <laughs> family. like Now you look at it, Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Jarvis Landry. And again, expecting them or the Eagles to go from 32nd to like top 10 is probably wishful thinking. But yep. I think projecting something like a happy in the middle yeah. is very, very reasonable. Exactly. And that's all that's all we're hoping for. And the rushing will make up for all the lack of that passing game. But I'm excited about both those guys. Those are my two favorite quarterbacks to go for in every single fantasy football draft. But let's move on to running back. Ian, once again, you are the guest. We will start with you. Who is your dark horse top five running back for this year? I'm going with AJ Dillon. Now, I don't think wow. he gets there. He doesn't get there on his own like Aaron Jones feasibly could, but if something happens to Aaron Jones, who let's face it, isn't exactly a spring chicken these days, like Dylan does have top five upside. And I'm not sure enough people realize that. Like, that's why I'm taking him right now as my RB 21, because I look at other guys like Josh Jacobs, Antonio Gibson, and are their roles even that different to begin with? Like Dylan does have a chance to lead the Packers in rush attempts. When you look at the 16 yeah. games, him and Jones played together. It was Aaron Jones, 183 rush attempts, AJ Dylan, 169. It's only 14 rush attempt difference last year. And what do we say about Aaron Jones this year? Like he is the best player in the Packers offense. They're going to force feed him the ball. I think Dylan's the second best player, man. He's been fantastic. Yep. He's not this one-dimensional grinder as well. We saw last year in the two games that Aaron Jones missed, the Packers were willing to give Dylan an actual three-down workload. I'm, I'm not comparing them as receiving talents. I think Jones is up there with the Ecklers and McCaffreys of the world. At the same time, they each had four games with 40-plus receiving guards last year. So I saw um, – uh, I've seen some Dylan apologists on Twitter try to, like, really make out – I'm not trying to say he's this great receiver. He can catch a check down, though. And then it's the same thing with, like, Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb. Get these big monsters into space, and good things are going to happen, especially when your quarterback is Aaron freaking Rodgers. So – Funnest, most fun, I should say, stat I found with uh, A.J. Dillon this offseason. League high, 75.5% of his carries have produced two or more yards after contact. So wow. I know sometimes, like, we had uh, Ezekiel Elliott come out and say that, you know, people that don't never played football go to PFF. Look, I'm sure the man's just seen one too many Tony Pollard stats, but he has a point where – Sometimes we do see these advanced metrics skewed, and I think yards after contact can be one of those. Someone breaks a tackle with a line of scrimmage, and they run 80 yards for a touchdown. That's 80 yards after contact when I don't know that that's really what the stats meant to represent. But again, looking at it in terms of just total percentage of carries with two or more, A.J. Dillon, no one's been better. And man, just from having watched the guy over the last two years, like that doesn't surprise me. I think that's the best, man, when you know the analytics we're trying to pull match what we see on the film. So legit. Jones has all the potential in the world, but AJ Dillon is one injury away from completely taking over. And you just can't say that for a lot of these guys, man. Like even Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb, arguably the best running back in the NFL. He's two injuries away right now. Like last year, he averaged 17.5 carries and targets per game with Kareem Hunt, 17.6 without because they put Dearness Johnson in there on pass downs. The fact that Dylan has that pass down role in his range of outcomes without Aaron Jones, I just think it gives him such a high ceiling. And it's not unprecedented for a team to have multiple top 24 running backs in the same year. It's actually been an average of 1.8 instances over the past 10 years. So for wow. me, again, looking at A.J. Dillon versus guys like Elijah Mitchell, like Clyde Edwards Hilaire, Miles Sanders, Antonio Gibson, Josh Jacobs. I'm taking Dylan for the Aaron Rodgers factor and just the fact that I really don't think 
his role in this cemented two running back committee is all that different from these guys like Gibson, Jacobs, Sanders, who could all be in three plus. And if one of those guys get injured, I don't know that they're taking the same sort of leap forward as Dylan. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely love that. And I think the other thing, when you look at, you know, running backs and they, where they lead in certain metrics, I think AJ Dillon is the best running back in the NFL and taking out mascots. I don't think there's another <laughs> running back else that does that. Whatever that's worth for fantasy, he looks ready. But the other thing is that the targets thing that you touched on. I mean, I just looked to myself and AJ Dillon had 37 targets last year. Nick Chubb has gone over 30 once in four years. Huh. And, and, I, and, and Andrew's never got there. Yeah, I don't think Henry's ever got there. So the pass catching upside's there. And like you said, like who else they're going to give the ball to? But I think the other thing that, you know, you go back to the age curve thing and that A.J. Dillon is going to be like 23 or 24 this year. He is still improving, whereas Aaron Jones is probably not going to improve. Aaron Jones still an amazing player. He is the best option for the Packers offense, but he's not going to be improving as an overall talent perspective at 27, where A.J. Dillon could take that next leap. I really love that take. I'm going with another guy that's a little bit higher, but – Again, this is a guy that I literally think has another top three upside. That's Javante Williams. I mean, according to PFF, he broke a tackle at the highest rate of any running back since 2006. Not among rookies. The highest rate of any running back since 2006, rookie or not. The only game that he had 20-plus touches, he put up 29.8 fantasy points. I mean, obviously, Russell Wilson is a massive upgrade for the Broncos' offense. There's reports coming from my fellow colleague at the football guy, Cecil Lammy, saying that he's hearing whispers that it may be the Javante Williams show. You know, they dropped Melvin Gordon's salary by 69%. You know, they don't have, they're not paying him $8 million a year right now. They don't feel like they have to give him touches. But two other things. Number one, Melvin Gordon played 40 plus percent of the snaps in every game he played last year. That's a lot. And Javante Williams never exceeded 60% in any game except the one game Melvin Gordon missed. What's interesting about that? Javante Williams is the running back 17 in PPR. This guy that doesn't catch passes was the running back 17 while never exceeding 60% of the games except one start. And Melvin Gordon was playing a lot in every single game. And Melvin Gordon's only going down. Javante Williams, once again, Ian, is only going to get better in a better offense with a better quarterback. And he was already the running back 17 last year. That's his floor. And his ceiling is that this could be Jonathan Taylor 2.0, where I was fading him last year because I thought there was a big workload concern. And then next thing you know, they they unleash him. I know Melvin Gordon is obviously more competition than Ayim Hines or Marlon Mack, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he finishes top five this year. How do you feel about this? Yeah, I think it's fine, man. I think it's like the Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson situation where people – might be more inclined to like Melvin Gordon is such a value. So they almost want to put down yeah. Javante, but to your point, like there's an argument, especially when Javante falls into the third round, it's like, we're almost arguably drafting the guy closer to his floor at this point. When you put Russell Wilson in that offense and just give it the touchdown upside that they had none of last season, it's another situation too, where um it's like green Bay, where like Melvin Gordon was one yeah. of my, my tier one handcuffs because if Javante gets hurt, it's the Melvin Gordon show. If Melvin Gordon gets hurt, it's going to be the Javante show. Like with all due exactly. respect to preseason legend, Mike Boone, like we saw this last year, like you said, <laughs> Javante overall RB one in the one week that he got a chance to play out there. And dude, that was a game where like the chiefs dominated Javante got, you know, a late garbage time touchdown catch. He had this random, like 40 yard catch and run before halftime. Like, you could say it's kind of fluky. Those are the things that happen when you're on the field all the freaking time as a running back, like all the tackle breaking stuff aside, which is great. Like you look at what Javante was able to do last season and yeah, Melvin Gordon was there. It limited his ceiling. The dude still had 246 touches 
Like that's really good in the year 2022 as it is uh, to your and Cecil's point. It sounds like that even has room to go up. I am perfectly fine with Javante. I have him. Where's he going right now? My RB 12 right now, one spot behind Mixon. I do have him in a different tier though, uh, as a whole ahead of guys like James Conner, Cam Akers and Nick Chubb. Yeah, I agree. I think I think you have him higher than I do. I think I've, I have him at running back 13 right now. Maybe that means I need to move him up. But again, but the other thing that I want to touch on real quick, that doesn't mean that I hate Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon is still a great value in drafts. He's still a perfect zero running back type candidate that'll fit your team every week that's going to get touches. Like, I still love Melvin Gordon. I just think that there's a real chance Javante Williams does some special things this year in improving offense and in improving talent. But I love those running back picks there. But wide receivers is probably the one I'm most excited to talk about, the best position in fantasy football. Always excited because there's so many guys that could break out, and we're always trying to figure out who's going to be the next you know, Cooper Cup or the next Michael Thomas or whoever it's going to be. But we'll start with you. The wide receiver you think is a dark horse to finish top five this year. Who is it? I think Terry McLaurin has the ability oh. to, man. And this is coming from a Columbus, Ohio lifer. But, you know, when Terry was at Ohio State, I never even really saw this side of his game. It was only when he got and, – and that I think there's a lot of reasons why. Like, you look at kind of the Urban Meyer um, era of the Buckeyes. You had guys like Michael Thomas, uh, Devin Smith. Like, they literally – they were so good that they could usually just put these receivers in the one, maybe two roles, and they just dominate with it. Like, Paris Campbell, another guy just, you know, catching pop passes, and he just outrun everyone because it didn't – matter so didn't really see us coming out of terry but ever since he's been in the league man my goodness and with these quarterbacks here's the list alex smith on one leg ryan fitzpatrick dwayne haskins r.i.p colt mccoy case keenum kyle allen taylor heineke and garrett gilbert it's alan robinson and andre johnson had the previous you know title belt for just great wide receivers with terrible quarterbacks and right now it is firmly between terry mclaurin and dj moore but just like we're giving Baker or DJ Moore, the bump up for having Baker, which I think is fair. Like Baker, put your slander aside. He's a better quarterback than Sam freaking Darnold. Like we've seen Baker be a really good NFL quarterback for stretches. That is a fact. Just like it's a fact. Carson Wentz has been a really good quarterback for stretches too, man. We we, we can't just only let Juju Smith-Schuster be the guy that we can point back five years ago and be like, look, he's still, he still has that great talent. Carson Wentz probably should have won MVP in 2017. Like you just can't say that about many quarterbacks. And even last year during the first half of the season, he was great, but you listen to the discord and it's oh Carson Wentz you know turned into who we knew he was in the second half of the season why not like I don't know he just struggled down the stretch like I dude you look at the Colts team last year they had Michael Pittman who's great who else who else was he throwing to Paris Campbell the two games he was out there T.Y. Hilton the eight games he was out there God God loves Zach Pascal but come on man now we got <laughs> Terry McLaurin Jahan Dotson Curtis Samuel, hopefully healthy. Logan Thomas is going to be a little bit slow getting back. They paid Terry McLaurin to be the wide receiver one that I think if you've been watching him, you really know he is, man. Like I found this one play of him against the Falcons last year. And Terry, in my opinion, is like the example number one why contested catch, like high contested catch totals don't necessarily imply someone can't separate because there was this play against the Falcons where he like Gabe Davis level juke this guy, like deke this cornerback into the ground, wide open on a slant, Heineke under a little pressure. The guy somehow gets back up, comes back, makes it a contested catch moment. And Terry makes the touchdown anyway because he's a baller. But, man, like 
just because your quarterback throws you back into a contested catch situation doesn't mean you can't separate. You can look at Matt Harmon's reception perception data and everything, man, points to Terry McLaurin being an elite wide receiver. That's why he's 13th among 102 wide receivers in PFF receiving grades since entering the league, but a little bit down there more so in the yards uh, efficiency metrics. So Michael Pittman last year, wide receiver 24, had over 1,000 yards. Like, it's just, it's just wild to me that, man, like Pittman the year before, he has – he played fewer games with Philip Rivers, but at, Wentz wasn't responsible for any of that. Like, I, I don't know, man. Yeah. This is people have such a problem with uh, admitting that a quarterback's just like a top 20, top 25 quarterback. And it's like, no, if you're not top 10, you're just complete trash. Like it's a uh, Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr thing from over the past two years. So again, I'm not sitting here trying to say Carson Wentz is going to be a God in real life, but man, it sure is a hell of a lot better than anything Taylor Heineke was doing last year. Literally our worst graded passer when throwing more than 20 oh. yards downfield. Washington fans remember this play. McLaurin, Wide open deep as he always is against the Cowboys. Heineke has the audacity to wave him deeper, like Madden 04 playmaker mode, like yeah. go deeper. <laughs> Proceeds to underthrow him by like 15 yards, and Terry going up and tries to get the ball like gets flipped over and freaking concussed on the play. I've never been more furious at a player than Heineke in that moment. So McLaurin, best quarterback of his career. You look at the targets, he has a chance to clear 130 with ease. Maybe, just maybe, he finally gets something close to average quarterback play, and the man booms. I think you convinced me a little bit. I, I was definitely not as in on on, uh, on Terry McLaurin. I think just because the quarterback, but the talent is clearly there. I think if someone talent-wise can do it, I just worry about whether or not Carson Wentz can do it. My only worry is a little bit the competition, because I think I would rather the Michael Pittman situation, just where there's absolutely no competition for targets, rather than having you know a first-round rookie in Jahan Dotson, a hopefully healthy Curtis Samuel, absolute baller. You know, maybe Logan Thomas finds a way. Maybe that's not that much of a comp, that much competition. But I don't know. I worry a little bit about him being able to score enough touchdowns in this offense while also having to get a big enough target share and getting good enough car, like quarterback play from Carson Wentz. But I think I have a. I have Pittman one spot ahead of McLaurin, so I'm with you okay. there. But you kind of look at the disparity in ADP and Pittman's wide receiver 13. Terry's 19. Like, he was outside the top 20 for yeah. a while. But, dude, it's this whole wide receiver two range. So, I guess that would be, you know, I, I'm I'm much higher on Terry. He's my highest uh, own wide receiver and underdog right now after about 50 drafts. But, man, best piece of advice I can give for people in this range, like, don't reach on any of these guys because someone of Pittman, DJ Moore, Marquise Brown, Cortland Sutton, Waddle, McLaurin, Deontay, uh, you can even throw Gabe Davis, Allen Robinson in there. Like all these guys have at least one red flag. In Terry's case, it yeah. is the quarterback issue, but it's the same thing for Deontay Johnson, same thing for Jalen Waddle. And a lot of these guys, in my opinion, have actually higher target competition than anything Terry is dealing with. But yeah, man, that like literally right after I think Mike Williams, who I have as a wide receiver. Okay, right after AJ Brown, because we can give AJ be uh the benefit of the doubt right after aj brown the next like freaking 12 wide receivers man there's one red flag or another so don't be afraid just to take you know a workhorse running back in that range let whoever slide yeah. to you in round four i really like michael pittman though mike michael pittman is actually my dark horse and in my case for michael pittman is simply well not simply i mean one he's like a massive leap in his second year he more than doubled his targets receptions receiving yards and touchdowns he also commanded an elite 25.7% target share, but where he really excelled was his route running. I mean, Pittman posted top 20% marks all time and beating man, 
zone and press coverage, according to Matt Harmon. Also hauled in a ridiculous 85% of our, his contested targets for those people that love the contested catches. But he got a huge upgrade at QB. And this is the biggest reason that I'm on Michael Pittman. This is per Graham Barfield of Fantasy Points. And this is Matt Ryan versus Carson Wentz. So on target throws from the clean pocket, Matt Ryan was ninth. Carson Wentz was 30th in accuracy. For on-target throws for non-screens, Matt Ryan was 7th, Carson Wentz was 31st. On-target throws under pressure, Matt Ryan was 3rd, Wentz was 26th. And lastly, on-target throws, deep balls, 15-plus air yards downfield, Matt Ryan was 5th, Carson Wentz was 16th. Also, again, I've said this already three times, but Michael Pittman is probably going to continue to improve going into his third year. He still does not have a lot of target competition. He's playing with a guy in Matt Ryan who's had an average of 160 targets go to his wide receiver one. Granted, that was with Julio Jones and Roddy White a lot of those years, but that is still a worthwhile stat that he doesn't mind targeting these wide receiver ones. But I think those stats alone in just terms of accuracy show that Matt Ryan is a big upgrade over Carson Wentz, I believe. And then if Michael Pittman continues to ascend, he was already, I think he finished as the wide receiver 17 last year. Not necessarily a great points per game number, but I think that there's a real reason that he could ascend even further this year. And I think that Michael Pittman has a real chance to finish in top five because I think it's realistic. He sees 150 plus targets, but you have him right next to Terry McLaurin. Is that more of a, I believe in Terry McLaurin or are you a little bit lower on Carson? I mean, on Michael Pittman for some, where do you have him ranked? Bro, I mean, I remember earlier this offseason, Pittman was like going outside the top 24 for a couple of weeks. And then I think everyone just kind of wised up to a lot of the things that you were just uh, talking about, particularly just in terms of his, the obvious quarterback upgrade and just not having any sort of target competition to speak of. I will say um, the athletic, I can't remember the Colt specific beat writer they have, but great stuff out of obviously the whole crew. But the expectation or at least a heavy inclination is that T.Y. Houghton will be coming back to the Colts okay. at some point point i'd take that over julio jones coming into town we will have a little bit more competition yeah. though but even then I mean, we saw michael Pittman really over the last two years even rivers and wentz just emerge as the alpha that you know i think we can all agree that he is at this point so it's one of those things where like you know is michael Pittman the breakout the guy already had over a thousand yards last year i know it's 17 games you know we got to do all that but even without it you know just looking at his yards per game he would have been over a thousand even in 16 games so yeah man i think Pittman, uh you know checks to me he's kind of like the uh the calvin uh he's not losing a ton of target competition but the third year breakout receivers we've had where it was like ridley godwin and then deontay johnson all other okay, Ridley and Goblin had much better underlying efficiency metrics. If you want to go by targets per route run, we can put Deontay in that group as well. Michael Pittman just fits it like a glove. I do, you know, and and I think it's a fair dark horse statement because we're talking about someone that's a top 15 player having a chance to go in the top five. But yeah. man, as as we get the uh you know more casual fantasy football analysts coming out of the woodwork here once August rolls around, I, I'm just I'm just already getting annoyed at all these like, oh Michael Pittman's my sleeper of the year. Like the dudes, you're gonna have to pay like a third or fourth round pick to yeah. get them, and that's fine. But my God, people, like chill out on some of these sleeper discussions. So Michael Pittman, Michael Pittman, a sleeper. I love that. It's gonna happen. Mark, I, I know. I know it's gonna happen. Javante Williams sleeper. See, we're gonna see, we're gonna see Jalen Hurts sleeper takes. <laughs> we're gonna say this could be Jalen Hurts' breakout year in, in 2022. I was like last year for a while. Everyone was yeah. saying Jalen Hurts was the late round quarterback, and he actually his ADP was all over the place throughout last year. So he kind of yeah. did end up being that guy. But for a while, I remember he was like QB six or seven, and people were like, "Oh, this is my late round QB of the year." <laughs> 
drafting him in like the sixth or seventh round at that point. Yeah, like, come on now, come on. <laughs> that's so that's so funny. But I I love Jalen Hurts. I hope that he ascends even more this year. But we got one position to get to before we get our tight end. Before we get to our bonus, that's the tight end position. This one is probably the toughest one. I think for me, because again, every year if someone does it, I mean, we've seen, we saw Darren Waller do it, and then it was Big Bob Tunyon, and then Logan Thomas, Dalton Schultz. We've seen some random guy that, I mean, Darren Waller, I think people were more in on, but we've seen someone kind of come out of nowhere and finish among the top guys every single year for the last couple of years. And I think I'm having a tough time of who the guy to pick this year. Maybe you can add a little bit more insight. Who is your dark horse top five tight end for this year? I am going to go with Irv Smith of the Minnesota Ooh. Vikings right there. He's rising up, becoming a low end tight end one. Another guy that was much easier and more fun to draft here a couple months ago, but it is what it is with Irv, man. And I, I, I heard the names you mentioned, and it is kind of like trying to figure out this year's Dawson Knox or Robert Tunyon from a few years ago. And there's a handful of guys that fit the criteria. So it's not a number one pass game option. We understand that's not on the table, probably not even number two, but we're looking for a talented player in a really good passing offense. And yes, look at Kirk Cousins counting stats. We can say it's a really good productive passing offense. Like that's another, it's another guy, man. That just, my God, like Justin Jefferson, Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, those are great wide receivers, but I think Kirk maybe has a little something to do with one just massive season after another out of these guys now in an offense with Kevin O'Connell that we're expecting to have a similar impact as I think what Matthew Stafford had happened to him last year where, no, I don't expect Kirk Cousins to be this brand new player overnight, but more volume, just more just play action, pre-snap motion, things that should make his life a little bit easier. So I think this year, you know, we're trying to find a tight end that can make the most out of 70 80 targets if not maybe get a little bit more and i think Irv smith just checks all of these boxes man he hasn't been healthy enough over the last year specifically to be on the field but already a full participant of vikings minicamp doesn't seem like this injury is going to be any sort of an issue and like don't take my word for it look at their offseason moves tyler conklin who started every game for them last year goes to the jets no problem kyle rudolph's now been gone for two years like Irv Smith and Dallas Goddard have basically had the same trajectory coming up, just really talented number two tight ends. We've gotten to see what Goddard could do without Ertz. We haven't gotten to see that yet with Irv Smith. That's why he's as cheap as he is. So the only guy of real substance they brought in this entire offseason was Johnny Munt, who was actually like the Rams' full-time blocking tight end under Kevin O'Connell. Like, you could not have asked for a better number two tight end to join the Minnesota Vikings than Johnny Munt. I think they might have also used a very... Okay, and they also got, excuse me, tight end Nick Muse in the seventh round. Like, this is best-case scenario. If they would have, like, kept Conklin or went out and added, like, a CJ Uzoma or something, of course, it'd be a different so story, but still... Somehow, just 23 years old, like Irv Smith, 4640 guy. Like, this is not like I actually think Irv Smith is good. There's guys like Dalton Schultz who they're in the offense. We can see the targets coming, you know, all style points don't matter in fantasy football. If you can catch 90 passes, God bless you. But I actually think Irv Smith has that you know seam stretching ability to be a weapon in this offense. And hey, a lot of people out there just fading Adam Thielen. He's old, he's gonna get hurt. Okay. Is Irv the number two weapon in this offense then? Like, there's a lot of outs for Irv Smith where he's going. And, yeah, my overall tight end 11 right now looks like the public is catching up to it. But for me, uh, top, I would say top four contenders, or maybe even top three, because Robert Tunyon, we got to make sure he's coming back from that ACL soon. But Irv Smith and then a little bit cheaper, Gerald Everett with the Chargers and Hayden Hurst with the Bengals. I'm not saying top five upside necessarily, but those are yeah. situations. Herbert and uh, Joe Burrow's number one tight end. We wouldn't be shocked if they can score, you know, eight touchdowns and 70 targets or something like that. 
Hurst is the one I keep hearing that I'm that I'm really interested about. I was in on Hayden Hurst like two years ago after Austin Hooper left, and I thought that you know former first round pick he's going to be the next big thing in Atlanta. He wasn't, but I I like Look that. Who he's a, lost out to? Like he's lost yeah. his job to Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts. Yeah, like, that's so true. Sucks, yeah, that, can't blame him. Yeah, that's honestly that that is a great way to put it. He lost his job to Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts. That's that's not bad company to be losing. Not not bad guys to be losing your job to. So I hope that he can get the targets this year. That maybe hey, that maybe that means the skies the ceiling is the roof for Joe Burrow this year with all those weapons there, like Hayden Hurst. My guy for this is I don't know if this is PFF's favorite player, but a player that I really believe in in terms of the volume that they can get. And that's Cole Komet. I mean, Cole Komet already last year. You know, as a 22-year-old, was eighth in the eighth among all targets. Eighth, oh my goodness, eighth among all tight ends and targets last year. Now the Bears have 41% of their targets up for grabs, including 50% of their targets inside the 10-yard line. And Cole Komet now is the least competition of his career. But Alex, but Alex, but Alex, Cole Komet didn't score any touchdowns last year. They were all going to Jesper Holstead and Jimmy Graham. Well, you know. Cole Komet had a 19.7% red zone target share last year. He was getting looks inside the red zone. He was already at a 20% red zone target share. And now 50% of those targets inside the 10 are gone. He was already second on this team in targets. Like I think it's very realistic that if he stays healthy, he gets 100 targets this year. The downside to that, this is the Bears offense. That'll probably be the worst offense in the NFL or among the worst. But Anytime that you can get a tight end for me that I think has a very, very real path to 100 targets, that's a guy I want to buy, especially if he has a little bit of talent. He has that second-round draft capital, showed a little bit of flashes last year. I don't know if he has the best PFF grade off the top of my head, but I don't know. I think Cole Komet with the volume there and this offense could definitely do something if he gets over 100 targets. Is, is PFF a fan of him or not so much? He's only 23 years old and we've seen tight ends like just have a tough time doing much of anything starting their yeah. career. So even then, man, okay. I No, we're not huge fans of Cole Komet. Let's say that. Uh, looking at yeah, tight ends since 2015, we've had 36 with at least 50 targets in their first two seasons. This is now Komet against other first two years tight ends. 24th among 36 in PFF receiving grade, 27th yards per route run, 29th yards per reception. So we're not even really talking about the touchdowns here. With that said, he is still young and looking at the offense, it couldn't have been much worse situation. My concern would come at, because if he gets 100 targets, he's going to beat ADP. Like, that's fine. I just wonder, and it's the same thing with Alberto. I wonder what these offenses are going to look like if they're how much they're going to be like the Green Bay way of doing things. It's really yeah. tough when we have these offensive coordinators come from Matt LaFleur or Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan because we know they weren't calling plays with that team. And so now we have to kind of wonder how much of what we saw from those head coaches are going to carry over to their offensive coordinators. And man, in that Green Bay room, and now the Bears offense is being run by Luke Getze, who is basically the quarterback coach, I believe, during that time. Yes. Cool. Nathaniel Hackett, OC, and um, who's now actually the head coach over at Denver. Like, okay, we saw these coaches in Green Bay oversee a Robert Tunyon season where the dude scores like 12 touchdowns. Tunyon was struggling to play even 50% of the snaps last season before yeah. he got hurt. They just always rotate multiple tight ends, and LaFleur hasn't had a single tight end get more than 60 targets since he's been there in Green Bay. So 
different tight ends, different offenses, different surrounding casts and everything. But I'm just worried that, you know, we're overlooking a little bit the change of offense for Cole Komet and even Dave Montgomery in there as well. And Khalil Herbert, man, like we could just see more of a committee system, I think, in Chicago and in Denver, particularly in the tight end room. So they do have guys behind him and Ryan Griffin and James O'Shaughnessy who, no, I don't. Like they're not th- they're not threats to Cole Komet's like standing atop the depth chart, but just like you know, people are like laughing about Greg Dolchich, who I don't know, third round pick underneath the current regime, not the old regime. Like they could be enough to just work their way into the system and prevent Komet and Albert O from having the sort of gaudy target totals we're expecting. Like, yeah, Cole Komet last year, all those targets, that's because he was playing a good 90% plus snaps each and every week. If you knock that down to 60 or so, it's going to be a lot tougher for him to make the most out of it. So, yes, he does now have more touchdown upside out there without Jimmy Graham, but how many touchdowns are we really expecting uh, Fields to throw to? So, again, don't hate the player, hate the ADP. As Cole Komet is at tight end 13 right now, that's fine. I would just be hesitant if he starts becoming like a locked in top 12 tight end. So I'm fine with Cole Komet as a late round option. I'm a little, because like Albert O right now, he's going tight end 16. I'm fine yeah. making a bet at that point. But you remember how it was in like March and April before the draft. Like we were already throwing Albert O yeah. into the top <laughs> top 10 or so. It's like, guys, if we if we knocked his snaps back, like 20 snaps, like you guys wouldn't even know who he is. But instead he's popping up on the efficiency uh, leaderboard. So. I think what I'm hearing is is you clearly missed the one beat reporter reporter last week that said he has a golden opportunity for more targets. Oh, obviously, man. obviously, if you read that, that whole argument would be different. I'm I'm joking, people. Obviously, if you can't hear the sarcasm in my voice, but again, I'm I'm going to lean on the volume. I, I think volume speaks for me. And again, is he going to be in the best offense? No, but is he a guy that I think is going to get 100 targets? I'm going to say yes. But you made a great point though about the tight end rotation. And if that's what Luke Getze brings to Green to, to Chicago, rather, that is not going to be good for Cole Komet. That's a great point right there. I We're really going to know like after that. week one. It's we this are. Is not, this is not going to be a season yeah. long ordeal. No. We'll know after week one. No, we're gonna we're gonna know early, and hopefully he is going to be the guy, but but maybe not. We will see. But those are our four our four positions that we want to talk about. But there's always other guys that are fun to talk about. Other guys that we think could be dark horses. So. With that being said, I figured let's let's give us each one more player that we really want to talk about. This is probably my deepest dark horse player in terms of where they're going at ADP, but we will start with you here. Who is your next and final bonus player before we get into your flag plant? Top five is probably a stretch, but, you know, we're just talking guys that are yeah. going to really beat their ADP. So I'm going with Rondale Moore, and I think uh, just the fact that he's going outside the top 50 wide receivers, you're telling me he's basically cheaper than he was last year, and we lost Christian Kirk. Like, the slot role is there, everyone. Marquise Hollywood-Brown, I know you brought him in, but really, more than anything, man, I think they are looking in the mirror and realizing that A.J. Green and Antoine Wesley don't need to have a full-time role in three wide receiver sets. So, if we can get Hopkins on one side, Marquise Brown on the other, and Rondale Moore as the full-time slot receiver, like, that is the best case. And all this talk about Daryl Williams or, you know, Benjamin or Keontae Ingram, you know, taking the Chase Edmonds pass-down role, I think Rondale Moore is a better receiver than all those guys, far more dynamic in the open field. I, you know, he's no, he's not big enough to have the Debo Samuel role running between the tackles or anything. But when you look at a lot of Chase Edmonds targets over the years, they have been actually out in the slot, you know, just getting him involved in space, which they did show a willingness to do briefly with Rondale. And, you know, to be fair, Cliff Kingsbury, I know a lot of people, uh, 
don't appreciate him, but he was upfront about the Rondale Moore usage last year. Like it was a troubling quote after the draft that a lot of people just kind of didn't even pay attention to because it seemed so absurd, but they drafted Rondale and he was like, you know, we got AJ, we got DeAndre, and then we got some other guys like Christian over there. Like we think Rondale falls in that <laughs> group. And I was like, hold on. Like why is AJ getting the benefit of the doubt here? But this year, man, like June 14th, post Marquise Brown tra- uh, trade, Cliff Kingsbury, Rondale is going to play a lot more. He's taking real strides this offseason. June 3rd, uh, talking about just how he's going to be used, like less gadgety. He's really good getting out of his cuts, good tough routes. So I think people are going to see a different side of him. June 2nd, he feels like he can step into Christian's role and play at a really high level inside there, and we do too. March 29th, he said there's a bigger role. Like constant, like as Sigmund, uh, Sigmund Bloom likes to say, constant drumbeat throughout the offseason tells me more than one random beat writer report out there. So it does seem like Rondale Moore, again, going outside the top 50, okay, if he has the same roles last year, he's probably going to finish around that, maybe a little bit better if he gets some touchdown upside. But this is another guy, man, where if Rondale Moore, if we get the week one routes and snaps back and he's a full-time player in this offense, we could be looking at a guy that's going to see triple-digit targets from Kyler Murray with the potential to have, you know, the Robert Woods sort of like 20-plus rush attempts on the season. I Again, there's a lot of outs for Rondale Moore to meet his value at this ADP, and I think the reason why he's as cheap is people are just bummed that he didn't break out last year. I love that. This this is exactly why we have great guests like Ian on. But that's that is so it the constant drumbeat thing. I love that from Sigmund Bloom. Obviously, um, the a fact I didn't know. I actually was not aware of that that they that Cliff Kingsbury said that that he feels confident he's going to take into this role. And I think we've seen it time after time when they say these things about people and it's the constant drumbeat. I think they're usually right. You know, I, okay. There's but but the, one other thing I want to clarify is that there's a difference between a constant drumbeat from August until the season and a constant drumbeat from the entire offseason through August. I think too many people are going to get caught up in saying, okay, they're just beat reports. But those ones that we are overrated are usually the August guys. You know, the guy that catches three touchdowns in a preseason game and all of a sudden, like, that guy's the next big player. But when you hear these constant drumbeats throughout the whole offseason, I think that speaks a lot more volume. So I'm really excited about that for Rondo Moore. Also, had the fifth most receiving yards of all time for a player 21 years old or younger in their first two NFL games. That is a absolute cherry-picked stat. There you go. <laughs> a still real stat about Rondo Moore. I really, really like him. My bonus player is another another former bear near and dear to my heart the king of like you mentioned earlier of the players that have never had a great quarterback in the nfl this player's best quarterback is probably blake bortles across college and his nfl career now playing with the best quarterback of his life it is Allen robinson a top 10 wide receiver in both 2019 and 2020 he is just two years removed from posting top 20 percent finishes all-time in beating man, zone, and press once again. Just two years removed. He was fourth in beating man coverage in 2020. That was just a year ago, one year ago. I don't think that he fell off that much, but here's the interesting thing about him going into the Rams. The Rams last year were first in NFL passing rate inside the five. They were second in NFL passing rate inside the 10. He's still in his prime. This man is just 28 years old, and off of his last contract, not including the franchise tag, the Rams just gave him a a 10% raise. Like, I actually think that's relevant that this guy was like so bad last year and they were still willing to give him more money. They easily could have said, yeah, we're not giving you that money. You had a bad year last year, but they still gave him more money to me. That speaks volumes about what they want to do. But beyond that, 
Look at who's played that number two wide receiver role. Robert Woods, Odell Beckham last year, both were borderline wide receiver ones playing in their role. I'm not saying that like he's automatically going to be that just because those guys played, but I'd argue that at this point in their careers that Allen Robinson's the most talented out of all three of those guys. He's clearly shown it. He's just never had a good quarterback. And then you add in the fact that he hasn't had more than seven touchdowns in a season since 2015. And now he's joining a team with a much better quarterback and a team that passes at top two rates inside the five and the 10 yard line. I think big things are coming for Allen Robinson, dark horse. And like you said, it doesn't mean he's going to be a dark horse for a top five, but I think he is someone that is set to absolutely smash ADP. That's very safe and a good offense. And I think players like this that are part of good offenses that are going a little bit below where they should at ADP are the perfect players to target. I, I hope you're an A-Rob guy. I, I really do. Yeah, man, I, I have him ranked as a top 24 guy for sure. And, uh, you know, we have seen four point, an average of 4.3 offenses per year over the last decade produced top 20, multiple top 24 wide receivers. Okay. And I think the Rams fit that bill with Matthew, Mr. Stafford under center. With A-Rob, man, again, we have very cool behind-the-scenes stuff with uh, lovely employer PFS. So I went back and I watched every single one of Allen Robinson's receptions last year. I want to see what the hell happened because Darnell Mooney went over 1,000 yards. How come A-Rob couldn't? What happened? They neutered this man's route tree, dude. Like really? one of the best route runners in the entire NFL. Like the amount of just three and four yard hitches they were asking him to run on a play-by-play -play basis was absolutely terrible to see. And then Justin Fields gets on the field and you kept seeing like these, there were a good three or four interceptions thrown A-Rob's way where like A-Rob was open and then he cut his route one way, Fields throws the other. It kind of looked like a situation where a quarterback hadn't had a chance to play with his freaking wide receivers the entirety of training camp because their head coach on the chopping block decided to start Andy Dalton for some dumb reason. So yeah, made sense, man. And then, oh yeah, mid-season hamstring injury and ends up getting COVID halfway through the season. So it reminded me of a similar year as like Kenny Galladay where like, I don't think what we saw out there was a completely washed player i think it was a terrible offensive design with bad quarterback play like i'm still optimistic about justin fields but he was bad in the year 2021 as a lot of rookie quarterbacks were bad every rookie quarterback other than mac jones was objectively bad last season so i'm not trying to slander justin yeah. fields here but yeah going into this offense that we just saw pull obj out of a similar situation where people just assumed he was washed i think alan robinson definitely has double digit upside as that you know featured red zone weapon opposite of cooper cup and yeah man follow the money when it's that amount of money dude it's not great historically to i think chase trade trade trades are a little different because like that's the team saying like okay you're able to get value in return for them. So both sides are kind of agreeing. He's great. I get a little worried when a player leaves in free agency and goes to another team and their other, cause then we're just, we're talking about them all throughout March and historically like a lot of free agent additions don't just really prosper. But when we see players get that 30 million plus get these bigger contracts at a minimum, they are given big time roles to start and contribute because why wouldn't you, if you're paying them that much money. So in that big time role coincides with McVay with Matthew Stafford, there's enough things going right around Allen Robinson to, I think again, chalk up last season as an indictment more so on the bears offense than, and his health than anything on him specifically. But there's one more thing that, that also we both left out of our arguments on Allen Robinson, the constant drumbeat. All we've hearing from McVeigh is that they have a big role for him, that this is a guy that we want to use, especially in the red zone, you know, inside the 20 yard line. And we've, we saw it, you know, come out of training camp and their one day so far that Allen Robinson looked great and he was making big plays and Matt Stafford shouted him out in a, you know, a media session after, but we have heard that 
consistently that they have a big role for him and they have big plans. And they think that this guy can play. So the constant drumbeat and all of that, I'm really excited about what he's going to do this year. But I'm also excited to hear what your 2022 flag plant for the people that did not listen to the first episode of season two last year, which sitting in April of, of 2021, oh, you famously predicted that Deontay Johnson would be a wide receiver one. You said he is going to take the next step. He's going to be a wide receiver one. You were like, it was Chris Godwin one year, then Calvin Ridley. You were like, this year, third-year guy, it is going to be Deontay Johnson. And I said, I agree. I was like, I was totally on board. You sold me. And look what he did. You were right last year. The pressure is on this year. So what is your 2022 flag plant for this season? I will say that Juju injury sure helped. Uh, sure, sure helped Deontay get over that first time. But, <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> uh, well, they say winners write the history book, so it's all good. Uh, this year, I believe that AJ Dillon and Kareem Hunt are just the mid-round running back targets that we're all going to wish that we would have paid a lot more attention to. I think they could both emerge as legit RB ones by the time it's all said and done. Already talked a lot about Dillon, and I think a lot of the same stuff applies to Kareem Hunt. He's going outside the top thirty. The top 30 running backs right now. He has finished inside the top 24 both seasons alongside Nick Chubb. Unfortunately, the two times that Nick Chubb has gotten hurt, it's been some flukery. Last year, Kareem immediately gets hurt the next week. In 2020, it was a situation where he was also a little bit banged up, but we did see them on two occasions give him that 80% plus snap roll that has been tough for Nick Chubb to get. Now, the reason why Nick Chubb doesn't get it is because they don't trust him on pass downs for whatever reason. So when it's a pass down, they bring in Dearness Johnson when Kareem Hunt isn't there. I don't think they're bringing Kareem Hunt off the field on pass downs for Dearness Johnson when Nick Chubb's not there. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. So Hunt should have that 15 carry, five to eight target upside potentially in an offense that the way things are trending could have the Sean Watson for eight games or something. Like we'll see there. So just the role in the offensive line. I think Kareem Hunt is just the epitome of a player being priced closer to their floor and their ceiling. Uh, right now, ESPN's reporting that Dearness Johnson could be a trade candidate during camp because they're happy enough with what Jerome Ford and Demetric Felton can bring to the table uh, behind them. So again, Kareem Hunt, he's someone that is just like if we were setting week one ranks, it'd be really tough to keep him outside the top 24. And man, if something happens to Nick Chubb, ceiling is the absolute moon for this guy. So that's my big uh, takeaway, kind of looking at these running back uh, ranges, because I don't think there's as clear of a dead zone as there was last year, just the way the ADP is going. There's like two guys you don't like, one guy you like, and this is not like a sexy seven stretch spot of running backs to kind of do that. But again, looking at this range of the RB2s where it's like, or RB2s to RB3s, where it's like CEH, Miles Sanders, Gibson, Jacobs, J.K. Dobbins, Chase Edmonds, and some of these guys, like Damian Harris. Like, how many injuries away are these guys from getting a featured role? For Kareem Hunt, it's one, and we already know how freaking good he is, even if that doesn't come to fruition. So Kareem Hunt, A.J. Dillon, you know, prime, 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 uh, as Mike Wright coined, flexes with benefits, and I think they could even be RB2s with the upside for so much more. Yeah, the only thing I want to add to Kareem, we talked about A.J. Dillon. The thing I wanted to add to Kareem Hunt is he's played five seasons in the NFL now. Man has been a top 20 running back in points per game. Not finish, points per game every year of his career. He's been top 20. So why is he going outside the top 30 now? Because on know. one hand, Deshaun Watson, great for him. They're going to score more points. That works well for Kareem Hunt. But the other thing that works well for Kareem Hunt is when Jacoby Reset is the quarterback. He had the lowest yards per attempt of any quarterback that played in the NFL last year that were eligible to be in that. 
And beyond that, if they're in a lot of games, Nick Chubb isn't going to be in for those passing downs. If they're trailing with Jacoby Brissett, it's going to be Kareem Hunt. So either he gets Deshaun Watson and they're in a much better offense that helps Kareem Hunt, or he's playing with a very favorable to what game that he plays for the Browns with Jacoby Brissett. So I think either way, it works out for Kareem Hunt. I really like both those And takes. I think um, yeah. a lot of th- reasons why we hype up Nick Chubb is because of how freaking good he is and any efficiency stat he's top five like the same thing goes for kareem hunt maybe it's like top eight instead of top five but when you look at these guys and they're like nick chubb has the expected workload of a low-end rb2 as you know and kareem hunt's right around there so really you're taking less of a leap of faith and targeting kareem hunt at his adp compared uh to nick chubb and it just comes down to the fact that we play a silly fantasy football game that gives you an entire point for just catching the football so i've always been a proponent that I don't think that you know I don't think catching the ball especially like behind the line of scrimmage is worth 10 <laughs> rushing or receiving yards shout out to a sleeper who actually has some good features where you can do tiered PPR depending on how far Whoa. down the field it is which I think is a lot more um I love that yeah a lot more applicable but yeah man just a freaking great player in an offense where he once again has a lot of outs a, lo- a lot of ways where the Browns are good you could see him going double digit touchdowns and if they're bad okay now we got Kareem Hunt out there for maybe 60% of the snaps just catching one dump down after another I love that. I love that. That is a great take. Hopefully it'll come just as true as the Deontay Johnson and all of us listeners can take advantage. Before we go, Ian, it's been a pleasure having you back on the Fresh Fantasy Podcast once again. But you do a lot of great work like that formal fantasy file series. That it literally, I had to mention it because that's like my favorite all-time series that I think I've ever listened to. Like I literally listened to, I would probably say at least 80 episodes last year. That is my favorite thing ever. But I will say, with Dwayne and the new PFF show, totally elevated it. But Fantasy Files will forever be my heart, whether it comes back or not. Before we go, you got a lot of great stuff going on. Your Twitter game, the podcast game, all the games included. So please tell the people where they can find it. Yeah, man. 100 articles in 100 days. That was a grind. Uh, got, I, I, got, I got engaged a couple months ago, so a little bit harder. Congratulations. Thank you. A little bit harder to uh, keep the you know keep the fiance happy and be doing that sort of stuff uh, in the summer. And we had USFL uh, this yep. time around to focus on as well. But uh, you can catch actually what I basically did in replace of that. Um, more or less the fantasy file series was every team, quarterback, backfield, and like a passing game breakdown. So I just did team previews instead. Troy McFarland and myself went through each and every team already you can catch those we publish them between june and early july i think they hold up very well considering again you guys see the freaking news that gets picked up here every day it's one player weighing an extra five pounds or you know we got a new alternate helmet out which i'm not hating on the swag or anything but you can go back pff fantasy football podcast get caught up on all the teams out there and now Dwayne and myself you know really getting more into nitty-gritty strategy stuff going on there so if you're already caught up great go check out our you know guide to drafting quarterback running backs will be here tonight i had a handcuffed here article go up last week which i thought had some good takeaways but yeah man good talking to you as always alex uh can always appreciate those that you know stay with it all year long it's uh hey shout out to you know i I know like the pat mayos of the world they're all there are certain people that can jump around from sport to sport and still uh you know just be awfully knowledgeable about everything but for me uh you know it's like just i we still don't know so much about football in general and this season so and we're trying to stick to it 365 uh days a year so the grind continues and i'm just happy there's uh, other people out there here on july 25th ready to talk some fancy 
Absolutely. No, I, I absolutely love that. And I couldn't agree more. I don't know how people like Pat Mayo do it. Multiple sports. I can barely understand football as many hours as we spend every day looking at it. I can't imagine trying to know all the players and all the depth charts and who the Dearness Johnson of the Detroit Pistons <laughs> is. So, but nonetheless, it was great having you on the show. And for the listeners, it was great having you today. Real quick before we get out, don't forget that we are doing an NFL jersey giveaway. Any current NFL jersey of your choice, all you got to do, go on your Apple or Spotify podcast, leave a five-star written review, and shoot it to my DMs at Alex Caruso or tweet it at me, and you'll be entered. We're pulling at the end of July. We only got a couple more days left, so make sure to get those in. But as always, thank you to Ian, and thank you for you listeners for listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast today. But as always, please leave a review. You guys already know what to do, and I hope you all have a great rest of your day.